Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we gather from a lot of different places this morning, some full of joy and hope and success, others from plenty of questions and doubt, all sorts of versions of pain. But we gather now around the word written, the Bible, that the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, might make himself known to us from whatever place we're gathering this morning. So speak, Lord. We're listening. Amen. Please be seated. When you imagine Jesus, uh, what he looks like, the way he behaves, what do you imagine? What do you see? The Bible's pretty scarce on the details about his appearance, so we're given permission, I guess, to fill them in. I imagine, um, I imagine dark eyes, Dark hair, full head of hair, thick beard, cool guy beard. <laughs> I imagine Jesus strong. He was a tecton. He worked with rocks. I imagine him courageous. He stared the cross straight in the face and went forward anyway. Sometimes I get that image of the laughing Jesus in mind. You've seen that picture? Uh, depending on the time of year, it might shift a little for me. If it's Lent, I think of Jesus... Uh, furrowed brow, determined face, jaw set towards Jerusalem as he hikes the thin path with the rocky cliffs of the Jericho Road up to Jerusalem on his way to the grave. During Easter, I see the triumphant Jesus, the Jesus with a glow, arms outstretched, inviting people to touch the nail mark in his hand or the spear-pierced side. I think of Jesus as tender, and kind, and gentle, thoughtful, sure of himself, but not full of himself, a great listener and a great teacher, the kind of guy who would stay late after all the other guests have gone home to help you clean up and do the dishes, the sort of friend who would talk the extra hour on the phone to listen to whatever ache it is that's aching you. When you imagine Jesus, what he looks like and the way he behaves. What do you imagine? I have all sorts of good reasons to suggest the things I'm suggesting, and I'm sure you have all sorts of good reasons to think the things you're thinking about Jesus. John's gospel, the one we're walking with over the next several months, in chapter 2, verses 13 through 25, kind of adds to the list of things you might think. Uh, John seems to suggest there's more. There's much, much more. Uh, I want you to listen, and I mean, if you want to do me a favor, you'll keep your Bibles closed and just listen. We'll uh, open them in a minute. I want you to listen carefully, and I want you to listen well. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went into the temple and saw people selling 
cattle and sheep and doves. He, he saw money changers sitting at their tables. He made a whip of cords and drove all of them out, both the sheep and the cattle. He poured out the money jars of the money changers and overturned their tables. He said to those selling the doves, get those out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. The disciples remembered what was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews came to him and said, what sign can you show us for doing these things? And Jesus said, tear down the temple and in three days I'll raise it up again. They said to him, the temple's been under construction for 46 years and you're going to raise it in three days. He was referring to the temple of his body. After the resurrection, the disciples remembered what Jesus said and they believed the scripture and what was spoken by Jesus. During the week of Passover, many people believed in his name because of the signs that he was doing, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And no one needed to testify about anyone because he knew what was in everyone. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, it's John chapter 2, 13 through 25. You're welcome to open your Bibles now. So what's up with that? What happened to Jesus? Sweet Jesus. Kind Jesus. Gentle Jesus. Laughing Jesus. Where'd he go? What set him off? This is upset Jesus. Angry Jesus. Agitated Jesus. A couple of years ago, four or five, I'll guess, it was Halloween. It's pretty much my least favorite night of the year. Every introverted parent can't stand Halloween. People walking on my lawn, knocking on my door. Uh, we were doing what everybody does, getting all dressed up. Mariah, I think she was four or five at the time, had a little princess costume on, two little buns in her hair. She was out on the front lawn dancing to and fro as people were walking by. A couple of older boys uh, were coming down our sidewalk. One was wearing a black robe with a hood and a glow-in-the-dark skull mask on. Kristen had just come out of the house after getting the others ready. She was standing next to me on the porch. I saw the boy, the bigger boy, walk onto our lawn. That was his first mistake. <laughs> then he, he walked towards Mariah. That was his second mistake. And he lifted his hands like this, and that was his last mistake. She let out a scream, a screech, a cry, and so did I. I yelled at that boy, get off my lawn! And Kristen decked me. Just like that. Uh, I'll be, I'm going to do it again if you come onto my lawn with a glow-in-the-dark skull face. I'm just being honest. That image, I don't mean to make myself the hero of the story, but the get-off-my-lawn Jesus is the, story, the Jesus we get in this story. This is not the laughing Jesus, the, the lamb-holding Jesus, the come-to-me-and-I'll-give-you-rest Jesus. I mean, those things are true. They're still true, but this is true, too. Jesus is disruptive. 
and he offers a disrupted life. That's what we're in for. That's what we sign up for. That's the game plan. That's the strategy. That's the vision. A disrupted life. I should apologize if we haven't made that clear along the way. So I'm wondering, if if you're willing, I'm wondering what in your life needs to be disrupted, overturned, poured out, given away, lost, agitated. Jesus is disruptive and offers a disrupted life. That's how we're going to organize our morning, and then we'll come to the table. Jesus is disruptive. He heads up to Jerusalem to celebrate the once annual festival of Passover. God had delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. They had They had taken the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorposts of their houses so the angel of death would pass over and they'd be spared. So they would gather every year in Jerusalem to celebrate this remarkable act of God. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Uh, The place is packed. It's like tulip time in Holland, packed. Jesus gets to the high point of the the city where the temple was, he makes his way through one of the many gates onto the temple mount. Hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people there. He sees the portable tents where people had set up shop. A dove, two doves maybe, for 10 bucks. A goat for 50, a lamb for 100. He sees the money changers counting their coins with sly smiles on their faces. And something happens. He just loses it. He goes off. He takes some cords. Maybe he bought them from one of the the shops. He he braids it into a whip, a premeditated act of anger. Jesus braiding, infuriated, seething. He he starts whipping things. He he overturns the tents. He, He throws over the tables. He takes the jars of money, pours them out. The doves start flying. The cattle start running. The sheep standing on point. Who, who knows what set him off? I said, maybe it was simply the act of selling anything in the temple that was more than Jesus could handle. This is kind of the traditional interpretation of this passage. Don't sell anything in the church. So like CDs after the concert in the narthex make people anxious. Or the holiday bazaar. I love those, by the way. Stop making my father's house a marketplace, he said. It's a little awkward to buy a CD when that's the story you're operating out of. Maybe. Uh, Or some have suggested it was the injustice of it all, the the dove sellers and the cattle and the sheep sellers and the money changers. They had raised their prices to exorbitant levels so that only the rich could afford the forgiveness. That's what they were doing. They were buying these animals to sacrifice so that they might receive God's mercy, but only the rich could afford it. So sorry, poor You're stuck in your sins and your poverty, too. Could be. I mean, there's really no evidence in the story itself that that would be the case, but I'm sure if there was injustice, Jesus would have been very upset. Or, and I'm making this one up so you can take it for whatever it's worth, maybe Jesus was simply appalled by the act of selling forgiveness at all. 
Jesus, after all, on his way to the cross, Jesus who's going to offer his life freely so that we might have life and have it in abundance is absolutely nauseated by the scene of people selling forgiveness. What set him off? Who knows? I mean, there's probably some cultural things going on that I'm not aware of, but John doesn't seem to find it overly necessary to point out why he went off, but John does seem to make the point that he went off. And, and what's equally curious, at least to me, not only does the sweet, kind, gentle Jesus go off, disruptive Jesus, the way they respond is equally odd. I mean, I would think if, if some maniacal man is turning over the tables, you'd call the security guard at the gate or, 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 or get some of the Roman soldiers who surely had been put on alert, don't let anything crazy happen this week. But the, the disciples remember, oh yeah, oh yeah, this was written about in the Psalms, zeal for your house will consume me, they say with pride. And, and the, the Jewish leaders, the one putting on the circus show, they, they don't get the guards either. They say, what sign can you show us for doing these things? The implication being they were expecting this. They were waiting for this. This was supposed to happen when the Messiah came when the Savior of the world showed up. But who are you? What sign can you show us for doing these things? The disruptive Jesus is not disruptive merely for the sake of being disruptive. He's not agitating just to agitate. He's not disturbing just to be disturbing. He's disrupting their casual, comfortable, systemic lives to point to the deeper reality of who he is. Jesus is the one. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. What sign can you show us? Tear down the temple and I'll raise it in three days. Jesus is the one God had in mind when he said to the serpent in the garden, he will strike at your head. Jesus is the one God had in mind when he said to Noah, never again will I destroy Jesus is the one God had in mind when he said to Abram, on this mountain I will provide. And to Moses, let my people go. And to Esther, for such a time as this, Jesus is the one God had in mind when he said, through Isaiah, your swords will become plowshares and your spears pruning hooks. And with Ezekiel, over the valley of dry bones, can these bones live? And through the psalmist, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Jesus is the one. And this disturbing act in the temple is the sign. If we're going to go the way of Jesus, in the way of disruptive, calling out the, the cozy, comfortable systems of our day, it can't be for the sake of the disruption, but rather as an act of proclamation. Jesus is the one. Jesus is disruptive, and he offers a disrupted life. I'd love for it to be different. That's what we're in for. That's what we signed up for. That's what this is about, to be disrupted. So what, what needs to be disrupted in your life? What needs to be turned over? 
what needs to be thrown out. I'll, I'll give you a second, catch your breath. Uh, this, this image of the disruptive Jesus is not to dismiss all the other images of Jesus. He still says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He still means, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. And we still get to say, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of that is still true. And maybe you're here. Maybe you're here, and that's what you need to know. So come to the table and know. Christ disrupted his own life. Christ took on what we are so that we might become like he is. He died to forgive and rose to redeem. If, that's what, if, that's, if your life is a mess, if your life is already disrupted, know that's true. But also know, Christ offers us a disrupted life. We can't return to the cozy anymore. We can't return to the comfortable. We can't just go back to the casual, the status quo, the secure. So what needs to be disrupted? The Jewish leaders say to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jews then said, this temple's been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. They ask for a sign. He starts talking about the resurrection. You want a sign? I'll show you a sign. The cross you'll hang me on will become the monument to death's defeat. You want a sign? I'll show you a sign. The grave you'll bury me in will be the icon of hope. You want a sign? I'll show you the sign. The stone rolled in front of the tomb to keep me down will be rolled back as I come up. They ask for a sign and Jesus points to the resurrection and there's only one way to resurrection. Death. Stuff has to get turned over, disrupted, unearthed. Christ's resurrection is the promise that we'll be raised too. Not just finally, but daily. So what needs to die? What needs to go? Tear it down, Jesus said. This is like, I mean, I'm not a, like a, you know, What's the PE class in college? Kinesiology? I'm not a kinesiologist. But this is what happens to your body when you lift weights. They get destroyed so they can be built back. This is like horticulture too, I think. Horticulture? Plants? You know, like you put a seed in the ground, you let it die so that it can... This is just like the way it is. The way to the full, whole, new life Christ promises is the way of sacrifice. The way to satisfaction is service. The way to wholeness is self-emptying. A.W. Tozer, 20th century pastor and author, wrote in a book, The Disruptive Faith, God, in no hurry whatsoever, painstakingly chips away removing everything that is not part of the image of Christ. He takes the initiative to interrupt our lives for the higher cost of developing us into spiritually mature believers. He's talking about disruption. 
painstakingly chips away. So what needs to be chipped away? Uh, C.S. Lewis in the great book, Mere Christianity, he's going to make each one of us into a god or goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creature, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom as we cannot now imagine, a bright, stainless mirror which reflects back to God on a much smaller scale, of course, his own boundless delight, love, and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful, but that's what we're in for. He's talking about disruption. The process will be long and in parts very painful. Uh, Richard Rohr, the Catholic monk turned uh, international speaker in a book titled Falling Upward, writes, the human ego prefers anything, just about anything, to falling or changing or dying. The ego is that part of you that loves the status quo, even when it's not working. He's talking about disruption, changing, falling, dying. What needs to change? What needs to fall? What needs to die? Jesus is disruptive, and he offers us a disrupted life. I have a friend. I'm not going to tell you his name, and I'm not going to tell you where he's from. We'll call him Chris, and we'll say he's from Southern California. Uh, tall, handsome, smart. He's the kind of guy who walks into the room and, like, I don't know how this happens be like pheromones or something like you just know he's the leader one of those guys uh, funny winsome uh, he was the pitcher on the baseball team you know like the first in the rotation thought about going pro but didn't want to travel I guess uh, fell in love with his college sweetheart she fell in love with him they asked me to marry them we'll call her Lisa it was an amazing wedding. It was down in Southern California, or, or was it Rhode Island? <laughs> Forgetting now. It was, it was out on a farm, the, the string, the lights hanging from trees and tents, live music, dancing. I wasn't dancing, but everybody else was dancing. <laughs> I pulled pork and fruit. We got to dip into chocolate fountains. This, it was magical. Before they left, we, we had sparklers, and they walked off into marital bliss. Uh, behind the smile and the social savvy and the smarts, Chris was hiding an addiction. None of us knew. I mean, maybe we could have known, but we didn't know. Uh, we'll call it a sin of the flesh. He didn't think it bothered anybody. Nobody had to know. Uh, until Lisa caught him one night. Uh, she was devastated. He was embarrassed. They came to me looking for some help. I partnered them with a counselor. And they intended to go the long road to recovery. Chris knew he had to modify his behaviors. That was obvious. Um, the counselor wanted him to do that too. She also wanted him to think about why he was behaving the way he was. What, what sadness, what loss, what ache, what longing led him to the addiction. Chris couldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. He got mad. 
mad at the counselor, mad at Lisa, quit on them both. The counselor said to me about Chris, he's stuck. He's unwilling to hit bottom and so can't get back to the top. He's unwilling to hit bottom so can't get back to the top. Christ is disruptive and offers us a disrupted life. What needs to be disrupted? What needs to go? What needs to be turned over? What needs to be emptied out? What needs to fall? I've got some really good friends who are like professionally prepared to walk this road with you, so let me know if I can help connect you. I want you to join me at the table this morning. I want you to join me at the table to be disrupted. Jesus says, tear it down. The bread broken. The cup poured out. He's not asking you to do something he hasn't done. Jesus says, tear it down. And in three days, I'll raise it again. Raised up for us and for our salvation. Raised up for us for whole life, full life, new life. The old has passed. The new has come kind of life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.